will be very helpful if you keep your Bibles open uh, to that part of the Word or pull it up on your phone if you haven't done so. You really need to be having it with you at all times. Um, but before we look at it, I want to ask a question, and it's a bit of a question maybe discussed with the people around you, uh, and that is the question, what was the best ending of a movie or, or a book, if you prefer, the best ending that you've seen recently? Um, I'm going to ask you to, anything that's come out the last two years, don't spoil, okay? But if it's older than two years, feel free to sort of give it away, that's fine. But what is, what has been a, what's a good ending of a movie the last couple of years? Put a bit of music on, have a chat, and then we'll, we'll hear back from a couple. Thanks, guys. Okay, we might, we might hear back some of the things. What are, what are some of the, even those at home, maybe if you're watching online, um, you could go to the Facebook site and, and type it in there. What are, what are some of the good, maybe satisfying endings? Let's start with satisfying. What are some of the satisfying endings of, of movies? What are some of them? Yep. The Glass Castle, yep. So there's a really good reconciliation at the end. Yeah, that makes a good one. Yep. Remember, don't spoil it if it's only within the last two years. Okay, guys, yeah. To go with the similar theme, just the castle. Yep. That's right. What a, what a fantastic ending. That's right. Very satisfying. Any other satisfying endings for a movie? Yep. <laughs> That's what they sing at the end, isn't it? They all sing at the end and, yeah. Yeah, it got a swamp back. Okay. What about a, a movie with a twist? What, what movies or books have a really big twist at the end? And this is especially Don't Spoil It. Around the twist. Around the twist. <laughs> Every half an hour has a twist. That's right. Am I getting feedback on this mic? Okay. Yep. Any others? What, 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 what's a movie with a bit of a twist at the ending? You think, oh, that was amazing. The Sixth Sense, yes. We won't... Oh, yeah. That, that's, and you watch the whole movie again, and it's, it's very, very different if you know the ending of that movie. Any others? Yeah. Charade. Sh- sh- yep. Charade is the, the ending of that movie. That's right. That's, a, that's an old school one. Josh likes old movies. <laughs> um, I was watching a Spider-Man movie re- recently, and the, after the credits, there's this, what? Ending happened. That I'm not going to tell you what it is because it's a newish movie. Um, movies have endings that are either satisfying or surprising. We're looking at the ending of the story of Jesus in the book of Luke. Why don't we pray and that God will be with us and then we'll have a good look at it. Almighty God, we do thank you for this opportunity we have to look at your word, but more importantly, to look at our Lord and to understand what he came into the world to do. Father, we pray that you might open our hearts and give us burning, open our eyes and give us burning hearts to see 
uh, what your plans are. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You might say, why begin here? Why begin Luke 24, the second half at the very end of this story about Jesus? I contacted a, a group of my friends in ministry and said, what's your advice for someone being a rector of a new church? One of the advice they said was, speak about Jesus in your first series. <laughs> That's pretty good advice. Don't speak about the church. Don't speak about your own thoughts of ministry. Don't speak about other things. Just, just focus on Jesus. Um, make that your first sermon series to, to lift up and be all about Jesus. And so I asked the staff team if we could preach on a gospel, if, if there'd be an appropriate one for us to start. And I hear that church, we got up to Luke chapter 18 last year, and why not finish? Why not go from the last week of Jesus' ministry on earth when he goes to Jerusalem, we'll see next week, up until Good Friday and Easter, which will land perfectly and we'll celebrate then. And so we're here at the end of Luke's gospel, the crucifixion, the, um, the resurrection of Jesus. But why start now? We've got a series of 9 to 24. Why start at 24? It might be a personality thing for me, <laughs> but I love to know where things are heading. I really like to know the endings of things before I start. Um, and actually, I think it's often important to do this. If you're preparing to teach kids or youth, or, or if you're leading a growth group um, and you're preparing studies, one thing you really ought to do is read the whole book that you're pitching on. Or if you can't do that, at least read the ending to see where it's going. <laughs> uh, I think it's really important. It's also the nature of books. For, for fiction books, you, you don't want to read the ending, do you? You don't want to spoil it. Fiction books, you're starting and you're building up the story and you're waiting what's going to happen at the very end. But for biographies, you normally know the person and you know the ending and why you're reading the biography because you want to go back and find out what happened at the beginning and that's the case for us with Jesus isn't it we know him he died on the cross for us he rose from the dead and so we want to go back and discover what did he do what led up to that moment we worship the crucified and risen Lord Jesus Christ and it's actually how we read the Bible. We read backwards like that. The people of even the Old Testament, people who came out of Egypt, they read about the creation of the world as people who've been saved out of Egypt. And so too with us, we, we read the Gospels as people who know the risen Lord Jesus. Why else start with the resurrection of Christ? Because it's the heart of our faith that we, we, we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead and by that confession we will be saved. It's what marks us out as Christians. And, uh, and I know that Easter's, when we get to Good Friday and Easter, we'll have a focus and we'll try to bring everyone we know along to church. But it's also good for us to gather as believers and focus on these things as well. And so don't worry, we will come back to the resurrection of Jesus, hopefully very, very often. Uh, but we'll come back at the end of the term. But notice how Jesus explains his death and resurrection. Notice what he does when he rose from the dead. If you'd been brutally and publicly executed on a cross in front of all your friends, and then three days later you rose from the dead, what would you do? You'd probably want to go around and tell everyone what happened, wouldn't you? You'd want, to, you'd want to describe what was it like when you died and then that when life came back in your body and you saw light. You might want to just, you want, 
I was telling some people about this at the, uh, the youth retreat this morning, the youth and kids, and one of the guys said what they'd do is they'd prank people <laughs> if they'd come back from the dead. You'd want to go around and just, just tell the whole world, I, I, I once was dead and now I'm alive. And you maybe want to prove it. And Jesus does a bit of that, but it's not his main thing. Isn't it interesting what Jesus does? He does a Bible study. On the day that he rises from the dead, he does several Bible studies with those who are with him. Um, If you've got a Bible there, look back to the previous verses. He's talking to these other people on the road to Emmaus. Verse 25, he said, How foolish you are and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. He'd just risen from the dead and what does he do? He explains from the very beginning of the Bible how it all had to be. Verse 31, Then their eyes were opened, they recognised him, he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? And verse 44, Now with his disciples, he said to his twelve disciples, This is what I told you while I was with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Notice what Jesus does. He, he opens the Bible with people on the day that he rose from the dead and in these moments when he gathers with his disciples. He, he began at Moses and all the prophets. For most of us, we know the Bible has got two parts. What are the two big parts? The Old Testament and the New Testament. But, but for, for, for Jewish people, they actually divide what we call the Old Testament into three parts. Um, the law, the prophets, and the writings, and the biggest of the writings of the Psalms. If you've got a Jewish friend, talk about their Bible. It's really, really good if you know someone who's Jewish. Ask them about their Bible. They call it the Tanakh, which the letters stand for different parts of the Bible. The Torah, the T, the Nephium, which means the prophets. That's all the history uh, from, from 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, all the way up to Isaiah, all the prophets, and the writings at Psalms and all the rest of it. And Jesus is saying all of this, the law, the history, the prophets, the Psalms, are, they're all about me. Uh, we're kicking off our growth groups ministry. We're kicking off uh, kids and youth ministry. We're, we're starting lots of other ministries. And don't you think, don't you see how it's part of our resurrected Jesus Christ DNA? to open up the scriptures and see how they point us to him. Do you see what's happening when we gather? We gather and we do what Jesus is doing. We celebrate his death and resurrection and we do what Jesus is doing. Um, if, If you happen to move churches and you go to a church, you're looking for a church, can I encourage you, this is one thing to do. Look for a church, if you have to move, don't want people to move, but look for a church that opens the Bible and actually reads the Bible you know, actually, it's a very, very common thing for some of the biggest churches around not even to have a Bible reading at church. There might be some reference to the Bible in the sermon, but there actually is zero. And you, you might think, you're kidding. No, you're not. And if you, you know, sometimes you see it, you don't even notice that it's missing. But they don't even read the Bible in their churches. Um, if you think about this, if anyone didn't need to use the Bible, who was it? 
If anyone didn't need to reference the Bible, if anyone didn't, could say, I have the authority directly from God, I, have the, I am the Word of God, if anyone didn't need to do it, and if there's any time they didn't need to do it, it's on the res- resurrection day where he could have amazed them with other things. But on the resurrection day, Jesus, the one who really, of all of us, had the best excuse not to use the Bible, brought his people back to the Bible. And so if Jesus did it, how much more uh, should we make the center of what we do. Um, Notice what he does when he rises from the dead. But also notice God's plan. It all had to be fulfilled. Jesus is saying very clearly, it's not out of control. Why did Jesus die and rise from the dead? Well, you might answer that question many ways. You might say, well, he was a good man, maybe ahead of his time. He was a great teacher. Some people say he was crushed by the wheels of history. Perhaps you might even say there were wicked people involved. They, they killed their king. They killed their God. Now, those things, in some ways, are true. But there's a bigger reason he died, isn't there? What's that? It was God's plan. There's a bigger reason he died and rose again. This was God's plan all along. And that's why Jesus says, don't you remember I told you this? And don't you remember I told you this? And the entire law, the prophets and the writings were all testifying to the same thing, that it must happen. They might have intended it for evil, but God intended it for the good, for the salvation of many souls. It was God's will to crush him and to see, make his life an offering for sin. It, it was God's plan to make him both Lord and Christ. You see, the disciples would have been terrified they were deeply confused. They didn't know what was going on. I mean, you, you, you were there. Imagine you were there at the crucifixion. They must have thought God was out of control. In all the history of the world, most of us think Adam and Eve, you know, when they ate the fruit, you think that's God out of control? We let people do it? Times that by a billion, billion, what they did to Jesus Christ the evil of humanity to kill their maker. But God was not out of control. Jesus was saying to them, this was God's plan. And um, I actually think we need to learn from that. We need to learn from that. Let's apply it from the big to the small. In our life, we need to see that the Bible are the glasses that interpret our life. Not our life the glasses that interpret the Bible. We need to see that God's word will show us what is and what will be. And interestingly, one of Jesus' disciples, Peter, in his letter to the church, actually said that what what Jesus said, he must suffer before coming into glory, is true of his people too. And so when we know that is the pattern, then we won't be unexpected if we go through suffering and hard times while we wait for the glory to come. You see, we'll have a life that's shaped by the crucified and the resurrected Christ. But mostly we come back to this turning point because it's the turning point of the whole world. The suffering, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus was not the time when God was most out of control. It was actually the culmination of his millennia-old plan. In fact, from the beginning of time, in fact, from before the creation of the world, from eternity, God's plan was... For his son to die and to rise again.
And Jesus told them many times in his life, if you're taking notes, he said in Luke 9, the Son of Man must suffer many things. In Luke 17, he says, must suffer many things. In Luke 18, he took the 12 aside and he said, we're going to Jerusalem and everything that's written by the prophets about the Son of Man must be fulfilled. He'll be delivered to the nations, the Gentiles, they'll mock him, insult him, spit on him and flog him and kill him. And on the third day, he'll rise again. Isn't it interesting? In Jesus' ministry, he told them again and again and again that he was going to die and rise again. And it was according to the scriptures. And then when he rose to the dead, he had to say the same thing again. And they only just got it. That's because it takes the work of God. And that's why we come to burning hearts and open minds. I heard of someone on Thursday who'd been going to a church for a very long time. And they're part of a church that didn't teach the Bible. It's super sad when that happens. And um, they didn't teach it very clearly. And they actually were invited by some other friends to just join a Bible study and read the Bible themselves, which they hadn't really done much of. For the very first time, they'd actually heard that Jesus Christ died for their sins to forgive them. And they've been going to church into their 20s for their whole life. Isn't it interesting that you can go to church for a very long time and then sometimes it just takes something for that penny to drop? And, and, and you might just say, well, that's because it was bad teaching. But think about it, for Jesus was the best teacher of all, wasn't he? And Jesus taught them again and again that he would suffer and die and rise again. And they still didn't get it until he rose from the dead. It wasn't just an intellectual problem. There was a spiritual problem. And uh, Jesus was opening up and supplying the missing element. Look at verse 32. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us when he talked to us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? That's what we want, friends, when we, when we read the Bible, isn't it? We want a spiritual heartburn, not, not of the indigestion kind, but a burning of, I want to find out more. I want to know more. That, that's, um, there's a book about preaching by John Chapman called Setting Hearts on Fire. That's what we want. It's meant to be logic on fire. And uh, we, we want our hearts to be burning like those with Jesus Christ on that road to Emmaus. And then in verse 44, when he's with his disciples, verse 45, he explains that it's all about him. And then he opened their mind so they can understand the scriptures. You see, it's not just a, about reading or an intellectual exercise. There is a spiritual element. There's, a, there's an opening of the, 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 the spirit that needs to happen. And it's a work of God. Um, this is the experience of people when, when people become Christians. I don't, I don't know what your story is. I remember a, a lady who told me that she became a Christian during a talk years ago. It was one of the worst talks I'd given. And, 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 I, and I remember there was a moment where I had in my head, should I say or should I not say? There's this really cliched line that I was going to say. And the line was, you don't have to teach children how to be bad. You only have to teach him how to be good. And I thought, oh, should I say that or shouldn't I say it? Oh, I ended up saying it. She said that was the line for her that, 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 that sparked it because she was a teacher 
with a lot of understanding of education. She knew about Jesus dying on the cross. She knew about the resurrection, but she had one problem. She thought people were good and didn't need a saviour. And so for her, God opened her mind to see that we actually all are in a problem and we need a good and a wonderful saviour because we can't save ourselves. And I think probably for most of us, there's been a moment like that. Or maybe it's a future moment. Maybe you've been sitting here for a while in church. I don't mean just this sermon. I mean for, for a while. And maybe there'll be a time where you'll just, the penny will drop and you'll understand how it all fits around the death and the resurrection of Jesus. There's the great aha moment, the final piece of the puzzle, the light bulb. And um, Jesus says, these people who've been understanding the Bible, the whole Old Testament, it's about me. Fulfilling the Old Testament. The, the Bible often seems like a collection of lots and lots of stories. I have a favourite um, thing to do if I do a scripture class, an introductory scripture class, or I have to fill in for a scripture class. I like to have on the board, particularly for the junior kids, and I put a number up on the board and I cover it. And I like to say to the kids, how many stories are there in the Bible? And it's such a good question. The kids are calling out, you know, that some of them are saying 57 stories in the Bible. You know, they think of all the ones they've learned in Scripture. Others are saying there's a thousand and one stories in the Bible or whatever it is. I let it go for a long time. No one ever gets the right answer. I say to them, actually, look, I'm going to reveal the answer in just a minute. How many stories in the Bible? How many is it? There's one story. Yeah, yeah there are lots of individual stories. And that's how the disciples were seeing their Bibles of the, 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 the law and the prophets and the writings. But Jesus was showing, wait a minute, there's a missing element and now it's one story. And, and it's just a beautiful thing where he says, you know, verse 25, how foolish you are, how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Didn't the Messiah have to suffer these things and enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets. That's interesting. Not just bits of it. All of this history, all the prophets, he explains them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. There are promises that the Messiah would come, that he would save, that he would die, that he would rise again. Um, There are ways that the Old Testament prepares us for things like sin and impurity, that we need a saviour, that we can't do it by ourselves. It, It teaches us about justice and eternity Um, we see that there is a prophet and a priest and a king, and Jesus is the great prophet, priest, and king. We see that Jesus is the true temple, the true vine, the true shepherd, the true Passover lamb. He's the lawgiver, the law fulfiller, the one who who gets rid of the old law. Even the fate of the entire nation is echoed in, in Jesus. It's like the nation of Israel mirrored in their history what would happen to the christ as they were handed over to the nations and crucified suffered and rose again out of exile the the old testament is not a sea of confusion and a cloud of mystery with a couple of prophecies that point us to jesus that's how often we 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 think about it it's like most of it doesn't make sense, but there's a few golden bits that point to about Jesus. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying is the whole thing. 
Yes, there are some crystal clear bits that make sense of it, but once you understand that, it opens up more and more and more, and the whole thing points to him and his death and his resurrection. This was God's plan from the beginning. I love the old movie, um, My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Who's seen that? Yeah, I actually saw the sequel a couple of weeks ago. I, I'd never seen that before. And the sequel and the original movie have the same joke in it. Um, well, have all the same jokes, actually. But there's one joke where the, the older Greek uh, man... Who's, who is Greek? Who got any Greek book? Fantastic. Um, he says, give me a word in English and I'll tell you uh, what it comes from in the Greek. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? I love it. And, um, of course, it's not true and he makes them up, but it's just hilarious. I kind of think we should do a version of that. But, but we've actually got solid ground to stand on where, where people should say to each other, okay, I just read this in the Old Testament. Tell me how it points us to Jesus. I reckon we should do that with each other. And not as a joke, as, as serious. I think we should be reading parts of it and saying, how does this push us and drive us either to the need of Jesus or the prediction of Jesus or whatever about him? How does understanding Christ uh, make a difference? Well, Jesus shows that he is the key to understanding it all. Well, two down, one to go. One thing I left out, left out lots of things, but one really key thing I left out, do you notice what God's big plan for the world is? There are actually three parts. If you have your Bible, have a look at it. I'll just give you a heads up. Um, when, when I'm preaching, I won't, I won't put the Bible passages behind me for the chapter we're looking at. Um, so can I encourage you to bring your Bible along? Um, that's, that's just, that, that, I, think that, I think it's a really good discipline for people to be bringing their Bibles to church. And I think it will really help us in our discussions afterwards as well. Um, but one thing he's left out. Do you notice what God's big plan revealed in the law and the prophets and the writings? Look at verse 45. He opened their minds so they can understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead. And there's another thing. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins we preached in his name to all nations. It's like God has a plan here that Jesus summarizes in three points. The Messiah would suffer. Done. The Messiah would rise. Done. And there's one more part that repentance for the forgiveness of sins we preached to all nations beginning of Jerusalem. You see, this is God's big plan for the entire world, and these two are done. One is remaining. And you can actually break down the whole Bible in these three plans. The gospel stories tell us about how the Messiah came to the world to suffer, die, and rise again. The rest of the New Testament shows us how that Messiah who died and rose again is now preached to all nations for the repentance, for the forgiveness of sins in his name. And the way that we need to read the Old Testament is the Old Testament prepares us for all of that. So we read the Old Testament looking at how does it point us to Jesus and how does it prepare us for the good news to be preached to all nations for that repentance, for the forgiveness of sins. A couple of implications for us. Um, first and foremost if that's our place now we need to repent and turn repentance just means turn back to God for the forgiveness of our sins in his name we need to do that and, and we need to do that right now because this is the time that he's given us to do it 
We need to come back to God and say, God, I've made big mistakes. I've turned my back on you. I don't want to come back right now. I was reading with um, my family, reading the Old Testament, and I think, why do you read the Old Testament? Because it points us to Jesus. <laughs> I'm reading the Old Testament, and there was a part in it that was a very strange part of the book of Judges. And I think it was a good rebuke for us about repentance, because what happened is the people of Israel kept on calling out to God in their need, and then they repented and turned to him. But then when things went well, they forgot God. Sound familiar? And, and, and what happened was, one time they called out in their need after doing about 10 times, and God's answer was, go away. He actually said that. He said, go away and call on the other gods that you worship to save you. And what the people did? They got rid of their other gods and they trusted in God alone. And they called him. I think that's a good picture of repentance. I think what we do often is we want to say, I'm trusting God and I want to hold on to everything else. We're going to say, I trust in God and I'm going to let go of those other things. I can't trust those other gods in my life. And then we can truly trust in God for the forgiveness of our sins and repent. And so there's a call for us to repent, but the other call for us is to be involved in that message going throughout the nations. Where we are right now in this postcode, in in the Shire, in Sydney, in our schools, in our workplaces, in our families, witnessing to those we love, those we don't know, strangers, um, being involved in overseas partnerships with, with mission organisations or going yourself, supporting financially. You see, this is God's big plan for the world. Jesus said the Messiah would suffer, the Messiah would rise. We can't do those bits. He's done it for us. But he also said that the good news, that the gospel, um, repentance for the forgiveness of sins we preach in his name to all nations, that's where we be part of God's plan. In Jesus' ministry, it's interesting, um, he had to keep laser focus on his mission. Because one time one of his disciples tried to distract him from his mission. His disciple Peter said to him, you know, Jesus said, I've got to suffer and die. And Peter said, no, Lord. And Jesus said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. Even his own disciples tried to stop Jesus, keeping his laser focus on his mission to die and to rise. Brothers and sisters, we need that laser focus on our mission, on our part to play, which is that repentance for the forgiveness of sins goes to the nations in the name, the great and wonderful name of Jesus. So this is a great place to begin. Jesus unlocks it all. He unlocks how the Bible fits together. He points and explains what it means for him to be raised from the dead. But he also shows us what we should do in our lives. So why don't I lead us in prayer? Father God, thank you so much for what Jesus has done for us. Father, we do thank you that Jesus opens up and explains and is the missing link that explains the whole scriptures. Father, help us as we read the Bible, particularly those parts we don't understand as well, to see how it points us to Jesus. Help us to discuss that. We pray that our Bible study groups, our growth groups, would be really good at that. 
Father, thank you so much that Jesus' mission also includes us and help us first and foremost to repent, turn back to God, trust him for the forgiveness of our sins and to do it in the name of Jesus, call on his name to be saved. And Father, help us to take that message wherever we go to, Lord, in small ways or in big ways, but to be faithfully part of that too. And Father, we thank you so much that every day is a great day to celebrate the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And we thank you for him in Jesus' name. Amen. I think we're going to have a chance to respond in, uh, with music. I'm very thankful for the, for the guys who pulled together uh, uh, this song. And so if you want to stand and we can reflect with this one, that would be good. <laughs>